Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And today we're looking at Minute 97, which begins with Thor explaining that genocide is bad and ends with Loki threatening to pay Jane a visit. Joining us on the show today once again and all this week, we have Dr. Arnold Blumberg, publisher, author, educator, pop culture and comics historian, and friendly neighborhood zombie expert. Um, Arnold, where does someone become a zombie expert? I'm hoping not personal experience. <laughs> yeah, it just kind of happens to you. Um, I wrote a book with a friend that was became one of the early definitive guides to zombie cinema and from there, taught a course in zombies in popular media and did a lot of press. And before you know it, it goes around the world and everybody keeps calling you a zombie expert. So it just kind of happens organically. I love it. Like a zombie apocalypse. Well, what's the name of the book? People can find it. Uh, the original book was Zombie Mania. I currently have a book available that covers 100 years of zombie cinema called Journey of the Living Dead. Nice. And um, it's sort of a compilation of everything I've, I taught in my classes as well. So It's awesome. We'll get to hear more from you as well as Andy and myself on Thor right after this. You want to get in on the conversation with other like-minded Marvel fans over on Facebook? Well, join our Facebook group, the Marvel Movie Minute Podcast Executive Lounge. Just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute, and you can click on the Facebook link right there. All right, folks. Well, the curtain has been lifted. The veil has been put aside. We now know the answer to the mystery. Loki wants to be heir to the throne. Um, so what's, what's going on, you think, here in Loki's as, as Loki comes to the end of this monologue? You really got to wonder about the plan, right? I mean, okay, yeah. So, so when Dad wakes up, he will see that that I killed the attacking uh, Jotuns, I killed their king, I destroyed their planet, and I am the true and, and I, I saved him, and I'm the true heir to the th- throne. Okay, but Thor's still here, and I mean, I know he's trying to kill him, and I guess that's his goal at this point: get rid of Thor so that he doesn't. Uh, he can't tell his dad what really happened. But then, like, what about Frigga? Like, Frigga was there in the room. And it's like that whole element of the story, like, Loki's just kind of set it aside. And it just makes me wonder, like, how can he still be thinking that this is going to work? I think a lot of it also just points to a recurring thing. Like we talked a little bit about, I think, last time, a recurring thing that you see in versions of this kind of character in many other shows and movies too. Loki is essentially a character who like on one level is like a little child. He always wanted to be, you know, he want he's in the shadow of, of a brother who's respected and glorified. And to a certain extent, not to forgive bad storytelling or bad plotting, if that were the case, but to a certain extent, you can always almost forgive any apparent logical misstep because there is no real logic to any of it. He might be a rational person. He might be thinking up a great plan, but it ultimately all comes from a deeply emotional need to be recognized by the people he loved, to be respected. And basically, like any time you hit a, a loophole, like like why why would he think this is going to work? Because he's not thinking really. He's, he's he just desperately wants to be loved and and respected. And so it doesn't quite make sense. And he just probably figures it'll it'll all be fine. Once he once Odin sees it, 
everything's going to be great and the rest will melt away. It's like, of course not. Yeah, I, I think you've got it exactly. And I think so much of it comes down to Hiddleston being such a good actor because, you know, up till now, most of the time when Loki is Lokiing, it's the calm. It's that sort of ice cold demeanor, you know, no pun intended, of, of, of him laying out his plans. Here he's emotional. He's yelling. He's, he, he looks like he's losing it. Uh, you know, he even at one point, like, is demanding that Thor fights him, physically fights him in something that, I think a logical, rational Loki would know there's no way in the world he can win that fight, even with Gungnir. One thing I, I definitely wanted to make sure I mentioned, because I just thought it's so beautiful, too, is not every actor can do it or do it well. But Hiddleston starts tearing up in this scene also. Yeah, yeah. right. And, and it's also an early indicator to the idea that you can have someone like that who is not just a black hat villain. There's a heart in there, a twisted but a heart. So that that's also a part I love in that that scene. And it's still like every time I see Loki in these scenes, I'm like, why do we not have more complex villains like this in so many of the MCU films? It's like that's that's what I find so gratifying. And it's why Loki has continued for so long, because they made such a great complex villain. And I just feel like there were there are so many other villains that would be really interesting to kind of find ways to continue with, you know? No, they definitely are. I think it's one thing that um, Marvel often, you know, characters like Magneto, Killmonger, like there's so many characters who have, you know, where you're like, I kind of agree with this character, you know, even if I don't agree with their methods. And Loki's the one I think where they really like managed to just keep getting great storytelling out of him. I, I want to go back on that point that uh, because I, I, I totally agree with what you both were saying about the reason that Loki really is making these choices here. I also think that there is an element of him that we have really seen ever since he discovered that he was a Jotun, of dealing with that internal conflict of who he is. And, uh, you know, when he fi when he goes down to Jotunheim and talks to his father, uh, I mean, it, granted, it was, it was scripted, it wasn't in the film, but it, when he reveals himself in the script to his dad that, you know, I'm your son, and his dad's like, oh, you're the, you're the runt that, that, you know, that Odin took. I, I'm surprised he didn't kill you. That's what I would have done. It's like, it's such an interesting uh, kind of way that Laufey looks at his son. I can't help but think, and I, again, I know it's not in the film, but even with just Loki struggling and the way that he makes that decision to basically side with Asgard here, I think there is a very angry internal element that he has here with the Jotuns and Jotunheim because of his upbringing and i think that you know even if his plan isn't going to work there is an anger and he just wants to lash out and destroy them i think that's that really is just another thing here that that he's pushing to do i agree and i think it's a it's a way of looking at it too is like that idea that he's lived his life one way he had a conception of like what he was owed or what he was destined for then he finds out all this, and this is his attempt. I mean, one one aspect of it could be seen as this is his attempt to erase all of this out of his own makeup. If he destroys the rest of them, you know, maybe I won't be that anymore, and I can go back to being Asgardian Loki the way I'm supposed to be, and none of that counts if he just gets rid of all of them. And uh, like you said, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness, and also great metaphorical stuff about you know, you can map it to all kinds of things about people who learn things about their heritage and you know, racism and different quarters for certain kinds of 
uh, like uh, mixed heritage. And there's so many things that are at play here in this story. And it's another great example of why these stories resonate with people because you can apply them to real world situations like that. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, think about how much, how often, like, you know, the people who do exhibit, you know, racism, homophobia, or whatever it is, often they're like, there's an externalized self hate that's a part of it, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I think it also goes back to something we've talked about of Loki as the jilted child, you know, that going way back when Loki first discovered that he maybe was a Jotun, it seemed like there's a part of him that was re- ready to reject Odin as his father because maybe he's like, oh, maybe they're my real family. And as you said, Andy, like, the more explicit version only happens in in the script. It doesn't get into the movie itself. So it's sort of like it's not official canon. But but either way, I think there's a way of reading it that like he had a mo there was a time where he thought, maybe I will, maybe the Jotuns are my real family. And then he's like, no, I reject that. And and this moment seems very much the like, you can't dump me, I'm dumping you first. You know, in terms of what he's doing with Laufey of like he is he can't he, you know, because either way, he was abandoned by the Jotuns. And so for him, this is like, if he rejects the Jotuns, he rejects any of that childhood pain that he was rejected. Mm. But that means that now he absolutely has to be accepted by Odin because mm-hmm. he's got nothing left. He is literally, I mean, he's literally burning the bridge. For, uh, that metaphor now just hits <laughs> me over the head really hard. He's burnt, you know. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's just so much going on here. There really is. And and, and it's interesting because uh, the way, I mean, what I also love is is the way that Thor approaches. I mean, Thor comes at him with, you can't kill an entire race. And that is coming from Thor, who at the beginning of the film started basically this war with Jotunheim, right? And and I mean, I don't think his intentions were genocide, but going to your point in the last minute when we were talking, it really was that old kind of the Asgardian warrior way of thinking. We're just going to go and fight. And as long as they're, you know, under our boot and we're in control, then everything will be fine. Um, so it is an interesting thing for Thor to say right there, I found. And, and to show that, you know, that, I mean, because Loki comes back at him, where, what's this love that you have for the Frost Giants? You could have killed them all through your bare hands. And he's like, I've changed. And so that's, it's it's an interesting moment there for Thor to kind of have that moment of, of realization here. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it, it's interesting for Thor and also showing Loki as, you know, Loki's the one who's always fighting the last battle. You know, he wants to be, he thinks what his father would want him to be is the person who kills the Jotuns, which we don't know yet, but as Thor Ragnarok will show us, he's not entirely wrong about what he used to be. Here, he's trying to out-Thor Thor, but he's trying to be what Thor was before all this, without realizing that that was the unworthy Thor. And of course, is also, obviously, because he's our hero. And he's the 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 main character of this particular saga is that Thor himself is going through an evolution of you know sentiment and thought and how he's supposed to be approaching these things. And Loki is basing his plan on the Thor that was, not the Thor that is and is becoming, which also leads to the bit that kind of closes this minute where Loki really, really leans into some of the most loathsome aspects of being like a republic serial villain of saying oh you have a girl well maybe i'll threaten the girl right you know and it's just it's so skin crawling <laughs> evil and almost feels like it's like well maybe it's informed by the fact that i feel differently about him as a character and knowing the actor but it just doesn't feel like that's real coming from loki and maybe that's on that maybe i miss um 
you know, misrepresenting what the threat really could be. But it seems like he's playing a role there at that point. I think I could view that cynically or brilliantly. And the cynical is that I think the writers just wanted him to be villain McVillain pants for a few seconds. And so they had him say something terrible, even though it's something Loki I don't think would actually ever do. The brilliant way to see it is that Loki knows that's the thing that's going to get under Thor's skin. Mm -hmm. And so it would like, he's willing to sort of dial it up that extra notch because he doesn't actually care what he's saying. It's just that the thing that's going to enrage Thor. Mm. Well, and that's, that was what I was wondering because everything that he's doing here, all the things that he's saying, everything he's doing to try to provoke Thor, part of it also is like, maybe he's just doing all of this to kind of, you know, stop Thor from remembering that he needs to stop this, uh, you know, the Bifrost, the the thing he that he needs to hit this with a hammer and kind of break the ice or whatever it is that he's trying to do. Because I mean, I mean, it starts right there where where he starts provoking him with hitting him with with his uh, staff. Right? He he swipes Gungnir across Thor's face a few times, knocks him down, trying to get him to fight him. Like he's doing that, and it's all about provocation. You know, about like. I'm not your brother. I never was like, am I mad? Am I crazy? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get your woman. Like everything he's doing is just like, I don't know. I just feel like he's, he's provoking Thor in a way, trying to find the, the thing that it's, that's going to get Thor to really stop focusing on, on stopping the Bifrost. Right. Sure. That makes sense. Now, one of the things that Thor says is that Thor doesn't want to fight Loki. And at this point, it doesn't seem like he's, because he's saying, I have to stop this instead. It's a like, I, you're my brother. I don't want to fight you. Where is that coming from for Thor? Why is it he doesn't want to fight Loki? There's obviously one of the things that this entire relationship is based on is the history of them growing up together. Mm -hmm. And whether it's, I mean, I don't really even know like if we really want to delve into it, the degree to which Thor himself even necessarily believes everything he's saying. Like, for instance, as much as Thor is playing a role as a villain, uh, rather, Loki's playing the role as a villain. Thor is kind of playing the role of hero and what he thinks a, a future king is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And the question is, you know, would he would he beat Loki to a pulp otherwise? Or does he think he's supposed to be saying that because he's the better person? But I think also at this point, we're supposed to feel like he's he's becoming a better person through, you know, having met Jane, having realized that being a king means something other than just waging war. So I think kind of it's a genuine reaction and also that there's that element of affection there. It's like, you know, to him, this was someone that he always thought could potentially have been at his side. And, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, the class, again, classic old Shakespearean stuff here of, of you know, two entwined and, and one being resentful and the other kind of being blissfully ignorant of it until the time comes. Yeah. To me, I think that's the key that, that it's that Thor's lost that blissful ignorance. You know, and I, I remember the line he spoke to Loki through the Defender where he says, you know, brother, whatever I have done to wrong you, I am sorry. And, and we focused at the time mostly on the, but please spare these people. But I, I do think that part of what Thor is feeling is this recognition of like, I never realized my brother hated me this much. I never like, and so to me, yeah, I think you're right that there's some level of whether or not he feels guilty for that. I think he does on some level, but also he wants to heal this relationship with his brother. He doesn't want just this cycle to continue. It's, it's kind of sad in a way too. You realize he really just doesn't get it. He's, he's never realized. Right. 
the degree to which all this has been boiling under the surface, which again is, you know, very real for like a lot of relationships. That's, that's something that happens. And even for us guardians, apparently it happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in the script, it says Loki unleashing years of pent up rage and jealousy. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I think that speaks to kind of a, a lot of elements of their brotherly relationship. Right. I mean, and it, it, <laughs> to a certain extent, all of this still goes back to that conversation that Odin had when he was show, telling the two kids about uh, about the battle with the Jotuns back in 965 A.D. And and he says, you know, uh, you know, you are both born to be or, you know, only one of you will be king, but both of you are born to be king. And, and just like setting them from that age that, you know, what only one of you get the job. But really, both of you could be. It's it's like, I don't know, always setting up this kind of this brotherly antagonistic relationship that they're uh, perpetually going to have. Yeah, and and that's the other thing too, as you point out here, is like Odin is not blameless in this thing. <laughs> yeah, right. It, he is a, a terrible father. <laughs> yeah, it, it's funny uh, to shift genres quite wildly here, but um, although also still owned by Disney, um, at the time of watching this, I've recently become very enchanted with the movie Encanto, which I, I'll try not to spoil anything. But for those of you who have have seen it, you'll know like it's about generational trauma, and and one of the major themes is about how all the people in this family have all this resentment because they all think they're the only ones suffering with the way that, you know, the parents have passed things down onto them. And and we actually did a, um, on my own podcast, we did an episode about it with a marriage and family therapist, like just going through and, and examining all this. And I feel like so many of that same dynamic is happening here, you know, where it's, as you said, it's just like Thor set these kids against each other and like, you know, basic parenting 101, don't do that. Um, and, and now for both Thor and Loki, they're just realizing all the things they've never said to each other, especially Loki to Thor. Yeah, really. Uh, so then he also shifts. We, we talked about how Loki does the whole, like, I'm going to go get your woman thing, which is horribly problematic. And I think we agree on like where it's coming from. But also he says this thing about what happened on earth to turn you soft. Um, th- this to me is something I, th- I think I've seen in other shows as well or other movies, but I like it a lot where it's like, Loki wants to hate Thor because that way he can feel justified in, in killing him. And the thing that he can't deal with is that maybe Thor is not as, you know, Loki wants to fight that image of his brother that all the resentment has built up. And he can't take the fact that that, that Thor is showing him this different side. Yeah. And I mean, the the soft thing also, again, you mentioned you said problematic. There's so many things I revisit now from childhood and I've reevaluated so much pop culture media over just in the last few years. But I mean, like in, in the same way that the end of this scene has that, you know, Loki's little threat, this whole idea of telling him soft just plays into these typical like masculine ideas of what constitutes strength and what's correct. And it's like, well, what he's saying is since when did you develop empathy? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, like, that's the point. That's the idea. He is developing empathy. He's realizing that other people are people and that you have to think about that once in a while. And and again, like you were saying before, it's another way of needling him in the hope that like maybe he can activate the bro Thor part of him that will say, don't tell me I'm soft and, and punch <laughs> him. And that's the idea. Right. How does Loki know about Jane anyway? I mean, when he the one time we see him visit, it's only when Thor is has failed to to lift Mjolnir and is in the holding cell. Uh, I mean, it, it, does it imply that he, like Heimdall, had been watching him periodically? Any thoughts on that? 
Well, I think just from the scene that he watched just with the Destroyer, you know, Jane was there and Jane was the one who ran to his body and looked so tearful mm. and sad. And I think even just from that, you know, he would have seen Right, the seen Destroyer him. cam. Right, yeah. <laughs> Connect to the dots, yeah. Feel that? Yeah. Well, I think that's about all I had for this minute. There's a lot more coming up this week, but is there anything else uh, from either of you that you wanted to dive into on this minute? No, we're getting ready. I mean, obviously, Loki said the right words because, uh, you know, we're getting at the very end of this minute, Thor's uh, kind of pushing into action. So I guess we'll find out uh, what happens with that next uh, next time. All right. Well, Arnold, uh, what I like to do here is almost every day kind of get, get, get the guests talking about a different thing that they do. And for you, I'm not going to be in trouble with that. Uh, so much you're, you're, you've got going on. Tell us about the publishing company you run. ATB Publishing publishes uh, pop culture themed nonfiction, and uh, we're actually celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Huzzah! And uh, we've been publishing books on everything from Doctor Who and Star Trek to zombies, and uh, we recently published a uh, an official biography of filmmaker Mick Garris, who's worked on a lot of Stephen King adaptations. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, and we have some great plans for the year coming. It's been a little tricky the last couple of years navigating being basically a smaller micro press in a in the middle of everything that's been going on but we've still been going on and we got books all set for this year uh so atbpublishing.com you're almost certain to find something that you like as a fan and uh, oh we we do have one title I'll mention specifically for this podcast it's a great book by a guy named John Seavey called Storytelling Engines which is a series of essays he did on how comic book writers keep superhero sagas going year after year after year with the idea that you really can never end their story because you don't kill off the superhero. And he explores the history of most major characters from Marvel and DC and Image and a few other places. And I I really, it's a book I loved publishing because when I read it, I would have bought it to read it anyway. And I think it would be particularly good for comic book fans. Yeah. I've had a couple of great conversations with the folks from the comic book world about how one of the reasons why you often get trouble with movies is that comic books are by their nature, you know, quite literally episodic and that movies are supposed to always be kind of the bigger and the better. And and so often the, the storytelling don't don't match. So, yeah, it sounds like a fantastic book. That I would love to love to take a look at. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Arnold. Looking forward to having you here the rest of the week. And as always, thank you for all you're doing to make this happen. And to our fans, uh, you're why we do this. Hope you're enjoying this. Let us know your thoughts. Check out everything on thenextreel.com. And most importantly, have a great day. Until next time, true believers. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. Andy Nelson.